So if you need any help with your memoir services, I've started to help clients out. I do anything from full man- manuscript assessment for a flat fee. I do developmental editing for a page-by-page fee, and I do copy editing for another page-by-page fee. Uh, please find any and all my services at casejohnson.com, or you can find me on Reedsy where I have an editor's account there as well. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you for listening to this podcast. This episode of Literally is sponsored by Lexicon and Line. Case? Tell us a little something about Lexicon Online. Uh, Lexicon Online it does three things. They they are communications consultants. They teach professional business writing and speaking courses, and they are research and data evaluation experts. And you can find everything about Lexicon Online at lexicononline.com. Please give them a visit, and thank you so much for sponsoring this podcast, Lexicon Online. All right, we are live. We already have one, someone, someone's following somewhere, so this is good. And we have background music because we've got an orchestra practicing behind us. So, welcome to the show! Welcome, everybody. <laughs> we, have, we have listener. We have, we have a listener. All right, who's kicking off? Who's leading this thing? Sean? Case? Lee? Lee. Lee. Uh, well, uh, first, welcome to... <laughs> what are we? <laughs> bourbon, beer, and books. Bourbon, beer, and books. Um, full disclosure, it's the last week of the semester. It's finals week, and I'm up to my neck in grading. And so if I seem a little loopy, it's because I am. Um, I'm Lee, and we have with us Case and Sean and... <gasps> Dory. Dory. Dory, Dory. I was about Dory to say too. Dorothy, and I was yeah. like, that is not right. Yep. Miss Dory <laughs> Guerra. Yep. Dory Guerra. Hey, Dory. Guerra. Dory Guerra. Guerra. Hola. <laughs> um, Hola. Today we're talking about Jaws. That is my choice for the book club. Um, I was born the year Jaws came out, just a month after it came out, less than a month after it came out. The movie, not the book. It is one of my favorite movies of all time. When they did the uh, anniversary release in the theaters, I went and watched it again with my friends. Still scared the pants off of me. And I've been meaning to read the book forever and so excited that we're going to be talking about it today. One of the things that I was told for a long time is that if I like the movie, don't read the book. I was given the impression that the book was not very good. I love it. It's different. And we're going to talk about that. So what is this book about? It's about a um, small seaside town whose residents sort of rely on the influx of rich uh, summerers to get them through a hard winter. So they're financially strapped. Um, It's a beach town. The uh, very elite from like Yale and the like, people I'd never rub uh, elbows with, or I should say would never rub elbows with the likes of me, go in summer there and play tennis and do fabulous things. Um, And the story censors around the uh, chief of police, Brody. And Brody is put into a pickle when a shark starts eating the residents of the town. He wants to close the beach, but uh, the town is already on the rocks financially, and they're worried that a summer without without traffic will ruin them all. Um, It gets more complicated than that. The reasons are better than in the movie, I would say. And ultimately, Brody has got to find a way to stop that shark from eating the people in the town. How's that for a... uh, for an overview of the movie, I mean, of the book, book. We're talking about the book, not no, the movie. Wow, you did a great job. Yeah, Excellent. 
But you're t- you're completely right. I mean, there's so much different than the movie. Mm. I know he took all the best uh, elements of it, but the, I was so surprised about the social economic divide and, and, and the, the struggles in the book as compared to the movie. And like, so even like Ellen Brody, uh, Chief Brody's wife, in the movie, she's two dimensional. In the she's book, so much more interesting in the book. So much. Actually, let's before we get into this socioeconomic conversation, because I think it's really important. It's it's actually we think it's a book about a shark, and it is, but it's also about all this other stuff. Let's. Uh, did you like it? Did everybody like it? Did you not like it? Let's start with just how we felt about it, because I was shocked how much I liked it. I was also shocked by how fast it read. Um, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go next because I just want Case and Dory to introduce themselves too, because. Uh, you know, we're missing Tia Brown this this uh, uh, this month. She couldn't make it uh, up in Buffalo, New York. Uh, but I'm Sean Davis. I'm up here in Mackenzie Bridge, Oregon. That's about if you're traveling south from Portland and you hit Eugene, uh, you take a left and you travel up into the mountains for an hour and a half. And that's where I live. Very, very rural. And which that's why this book has really resonated with me, because really this book is about a rural area that has a tourist economy uh, that's going through a crisis and all the people in charge are realtors. And that's what's happening with me because we just had the holiday farm fire up here, which just devastated our whole area. We're unincorporated, so we don't have like a government, but we do have our, our chamber of commerce and a, and, and a community development corporation. And they're all uh, peopled by realtors and developers. And it's completely changing our entire, uh, the, the entire landscape up here, so. So I taught for a long time. I'm also uh, reading it through uh, this, the books that we read through the eyes of a veteran for 12 years. I'm a combat veteran from uh, Iraq, Purple Heart, and I uh, live rural now, and I try to champion rural ideas. And uh, so, yeah, uh, this I was really surprised by this book, and I really liked it a lot. Sorry, I can't hear anything right now. <laughs> I don't know what anyone just said. We we have a we have a giant orchestra playing, so we're messing right behind us. They're practicing. Pra- we didn't know. We didn't know. No, nope. that's what <laughs> happens when you go live. Yeah. yeah. When you go live, you take the you accept the consequences. Just introduce yourself. Yeah, introduce yourself. Oh, okay. Uh, my name is Dory, and uh, I'm a friend of Case, and he asked me to join in today. He uh, he called me up on Thursday and messaged me and said, "You think you can read Jaws?" By, by Tuesday at five, and I said absolutely. Um, <laughs> Did you do it? Did of course, you do it? I finished it yeah. on Saturday night. <laughs> um, Jaws the movie is—it's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's a cinematic masterpiece. Uh, I don't find that to be a bold statement. I, I think a lot of people feel that way. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm happy to to jump in and, and talk about this book. I have never read the book. Um, it took me 43 years to get to it, but I'm I'm glad I finally did. All right, well, this is Case Johnston. I have a confession, and Brandon said I didn't have to do this, but I'm going to. Um, so the last two... This, this is awesome, but The way. last two bourbon books, bourbon book beer. beers and books. Beer. Bourbon beer and books, man. I've been uh, drinking this beer. Can you see it? Old Milwaukee. Old Milwaukee. Non-alcoholic beer. Look very close. Oh. Yeah, 
Did you know and it was non-alcoholic? I did, and so because I just had these crazy days next week, you know, the last couple of times, and so I've been. This is the first time I actually have alcohol in my body during our podcast, and I'm. Case it still qualifies as a beer, though. That is true. It is a beer. It's just non-alcoholic beer. But I have to tell Especially you that I, uh, it's not bad. <laughs> and um, Brandon said, well, how come your friends didn't know? And I said, they've never seen one before. Um, so that's my confession. How did I like Jaws? I dug Jaws, the book. I mean, I love the movie. I love the movie. I watched it last night again, uh, and I absolutely love the movie. Spielberg was fantastic with it. Uh, but this book had a lot of depth to it that I didn't expect. You know, I thought it would be a thriller. It's not a thriller uh, in any way, shape or form. And I found out, too, that I, this, this, there are more in-depth sex scenes than there are atta- <laughs> yeah. attack scenes in this book, like shark oh attack God, scenes. I don't want to talk about this. Okay, everybody is, everybody is in our chat. There's a view. First of all, shout out to Kelly, who's, who's uh, commented. Uh, on our podcast, we all miss Tia as well. Right here. Uh, but thank you so much for joining us, Kelly. And and I because um, because Sean brought this up, I'm also right next to the coast. I'm just next to the other one. I'm in Florida, and and I grew up in I'm in Central Florida, but I grew up in Miami. So you know, all of the things that Sean said about tourist economy or economies based on things outside of your control, especially real estate. They all stand for me as well. I was getting to something. I know I was. Uh, oh yeah, the sex scenes. So this came up in our like online chat. So before we get on the podcast, we we chat all month. And I was a little late getting to the book because you know stuff. And uh, the guys just kept talking about the sex scenes. <laughs> so I went into this book thinking this is going to be raunchy. They're not all that. These boys. <laughs> We're, they don't know sex, and they're they are not that bad. There are not that many of them. They're gonna no. go on and on about them, but there really I, aren't. I, I said it read like a field manual. He he, he goes on and on about the vagina. I, I want to know, like, so chapter eight, and I hope we spend a lot of time on chapter eight because <laughs> do women really baby powder their nipples and vaginas? I I don't like because I'm reading this. I'm like, hey, Kel, read this. <laughs> My wife. <laughs> it has happened. <laughs> I concur. Yeah. I do. It has, it has happened. I know. So, I do it before long runs. But but I actually have so yeah. So we have a lot to talk about today. (laughs) I wanted I wanted to jump into just the point of view. Uh, I mean, what do you guys think about that? Because you don't usually read third person omniscient anymore, right? And I don't know. And I know Lee, you can talk about this more than I. But I, I understand that. It, in, a, in a literary sense, like these literary types, they're like, that is out of fashion. We don't do that. We don't do third person omniscient, probably mm-hmm. since, I don't know, you know, Gulliver's Gull, Travel. Isn't, uh, isn't the beautiful, isn't Jess Walters the beautiful runes in um, third omniscient? Am I misremembering that? No, it's been I, years I, since I've read it. Yeah, I don't know either. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been six or seven years since I've read it. There's not a, a lot of them that are, are third person omniscient anymore. Right? No, I mean I know this was in the '70s. We wrote no, it. there there aren't. Um, although you know, a friend of ours uh, uh, wrote a short story, um, Sharon Harrigan, I think I, I want to say it was Sharon's story in third person omniscient, which is really hard to do. I think one of the problems with third person omniscient, from a literary standpoint, is it's a lot of balls in the air, not just for the writer but for the reader. 
But I think it really works in this. And I think it goes back to that field manual stuff. There are points where the humans are treated the same way as the shark by the narrator. Yeah. I and I actually think that's that. super cool. Not all the time. Yeah. But I think it actually, I think you couldn't do that. And well, you couldn't do the shark stuff without third person. Yeah. I think it's the only yeah. way this book works. That's what I was going to say. Like the, the whole first chapter is told through the point of view of the great fish right not the point of view but like close third on the great fish uh, swimming and and i had like okay so i wanted to read just a part of this this is like what when you pick up this book and you open it uh, here here's one of the, the i thought it was one of the best parts the eyes were sightless in the black and the other senses transmitted nothing extraordinary to the small primitive brain the fish might have been asleep save for the movement dictated by countless millions of years of instinctive continuity. Lacking other fish in the furring flaps push oxygen bearing water through its gills. It survived only by moving. Once stopped, it would sink to the bottom and die of anoxia. I thought that was brilliant because right away, I mean, who's gonna do a book through the point of view of a fish? You can't do first person. I mean, hey, you know, if someone wants to pick up that challenge, do it. But I don't think you'd do a first person book through a shark's point of view. And right here, He's already set the whole uh, for the rest of the book. This thing is a killing machine. It can't stop. If it stops at any moment, it dies. And I think that was brilliant. You know, and I, I'm just jumping in here. Um, but what I was going to say is in that's right before that scene, we have the human. No, right after that scene, we have the humans on the beach making out, having sex. It's a really quick sex scene. And the word thrashing is used for them right um so right away we get the parallel it's it's on purpose it's um telegraphed to us immediately we're given as we walk into this book we're given this parallel between the humans and the sharks that is sort of carried throughout and I, again i don't think you could do that if it wasn't third omniscient how did that work for you guys for the rest of you i'm gonna give dory a shot because she can't actually hear us right yeah, now yeah i so. can't hear very well so, um and i'm blind so <laughs> Uh, it, right there. <laughs> it did work the for me. Stopped. I, I'm going to take this uh, this this really quick pause because we had another uh, uh, message on Facebook. Uh, Christina Miller asked uh, if we drank beer or bourbon while reading. That was specifically the case, but I'm going to jump in. Uh, so I took my family to the coast, uh, down to Newport on the Oregon coast. Beautiful. Uh, and we, uh, yeah, I drank a lot of beer. And, and it, actually, I bought some rye because uh, I really like the um, uh, rye because it's a little bit more rye than, than corn and 51% of uh, a whiskey, if it's corn, that makes it a bourbon. Uh, but I wanted to drink bourbon for the show, but I was drinking rye and beer on the coast. And I would read this to Kelly in uh, especially chapter eight. She's like, what the hell? But Casey, do you drink beer or bourbon while reading? Okay, case went to go get more beer. Yeah, I'm getting getting more. I got you know I uh, the first three first three this first two episodes I didn't have any, so I'm gonna go ahead and have a couple, um, but I'm gonna actually have some bourbon tonight. I think Brandon has some in there, and I'll go get it in a bit. But while reading, uh, no, not not while reading. I uh, we'll we'll get them there, Christina. We'll get them there. Yeah, and if we're sharing what we're drinking, I'm cheating. I'm not having bourbon or beer. I'm having a sherry cobbler. <laughs> nice. Wow. A drink that um, I just tried this week. Uh, shout out to How to Drink, the YouTube channel. 
that we listened to and watched. That's this year's project was trying new weird drinks. And this is a sherry cobbler and it's freaking delicious. I'm just going to put that out there. It's what is in it? Delicious. What's in it's it? got sherry in it, which uh-huh. I don't know. I mean, do I look like someone who's like, oh, I know, yeah, you, so I know you, you, you cook with that stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, right. And simple syrup and muddled orange. Like, I mean, like a lot of orange. And uh, I'm actually using those little clementines that are super sweet. And then ice. And you just shake it up. And it's uh, super summery, super delicious. And so uh, I'm cheating. I'm not having either one. But it's like 90-something degrees out. And uh, oh wow, sherry cobbler seems good. High 70s here. So I'm drinking. Well, you can see. So... My wife and I, uh, Kelly and I, did a tasting of this <laughs> two days ago. It's <laughs> so all that was left was uh, what's in here now because of our tasting. But that's uh, Jefferson's Ocean. It's a um, it's a bourbon. Um, it's uh, I think it's from the East Coast. But uh, so the founder of Jefferson's Ocean, this guy named Trevor, uh, I don't forget his last name, but uh, he thought about like putting barrels of bourbon on uh, ships to go in the ocean while he was tagging sharks. So I thought it would be appropriate for the show. So, um, and each barrel of the small batch, uh, he says crosses the equator four times and goes to over 30 ports. And so it was a pretty, it's a pretty decent bourbon. Uh, my wife and I did a video. You can see it on our, uh, the uh, bourbon beer and books, uh, Facebook group. It's in there somewhere. Oh, and I'm also drinking uh, Rogue Brewery's uh, Colossal Claude. It is, we don't have sharks up here. We have sea monsters, apparently. Mm. But Rogue Brewery is a brewery out of Newport, Oregon. Uh, and it's an amazing Imperial uh, India Pale Ale. Go for it, Dory. Oh, I'm drinking. Uh, I'm, I don't have any bourbon today. But I've got that. Well, maybe, maybe I do. Uh, Brandon. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've got, I have uh, some. Epic Brewing India Pale Ale Sour IPA. I am a fan of the sours. I didn't bring anything uh, Jaws related or aquatic related. That's what I had in my fridge. <laughs> Christina so Miller is asking if there's a drink you'd be inspired to drink from the book. So in the book, there's a couple of characters who are always drinking ginger and rye. Mm-hmm. And um, I've never had ginger and rye, uh, but I love both of those things. So I was thinking maybe next week I would buy some uh, some ginger ale and some rye. I'm not really a soda and alcohol person unless it's tonic or soda water. But um, I think I'm going to try that. So that's the drink I might drink from Jaws. They also drink a lot of gin and tonics, but I already, I'm already a G&T girl. So how about the rest of you? Any drinks from the book that you might be interested in trying? I There's a lot of drinking. I didn't notice the drinks, but I sure noticed the sex scenes. I, I don't know what it was. It um, might tell you something about the difference no, between us, right. Case. Well, the, well, here's the thing. Is, <laughs> gr- growing up, my mom, of course, she blacked out MTV, right? You couldn't see MTV. And in movies, we couldn't watch them. And every her response to every movie, and it still is today, is that would have been a good movie without the sex. Because it's in her response is always it's not necessary, uh, Doyle, what she you know she says to my dad, and I felt like my mom a lot through this, except for chapter eight, which we will talk about in a bit. But I didn't even notice people having drinks. Yeah, I, 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 like yeah. The they're tonic, drinking all the ginger. time. I didn't even notice that. I just you know I noticed the shark. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. I'm glad you didn't miss that. Yeah. <laughs> 
The right. book made me want to drink. Mm, Not like, because mm. it was terrible, but because they convinced me to drink. drink. But that'd be that'd be great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and and so some of the times they're drinking like at dinner party. Well, their attempt at a dinner oh, party yeah. and it's sort of party. social. And then other times, like you know, Brody's having a rough time, and and so at that same party, he gets kind of. He gets yes. drunk and then he decides he doesn't want to be drunk and there's this whole like trying to control how much he's taking in and yeah but there's actually I, I'm a, yeah I I'm do, with you there's a lot of a lot of drinking in it I do remember that that one dinner party um, I remember that with Brody and then I remember the dinner party when of course Ellen is flirting with Hopper and there was yeah. there's a lot of wine going on between the two of them yeah, yeah. oh at the yeah. yeah not the dinner party the 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 sneaky dinner. Yeah, the sneaky dinner, right? Sneaky dinner. <laughs> oh, that dinner. It's like a shark type of dinner. It sneaks up on you. Yeah, there's a lot of sharks. That's a book. terrible joke. Well, like I told you, this is the first time I've had alcohol in me for our podcast. So here comes Case. Yeah, here come the puns. <laughs> we lost so, Sean. Um, I don't know where Sean went. But. Oh, okay. Okay. Sean's so gone. Okay. Yeah, Sean's gone. Well. Oh, Christina says she loves ginger and rye. Well, Christina, for you next week at my home, when you're not here, I'm going to drink a ginger and rye and I'm going to think about you, Christina. So one of the things that that happens in this book a lot that we've already talked about, but I'd like to actually kind of dig into is this um, the socioeconomic kind of is almost the the socioeconomic strife is, is kind of maybe an equally big plot as the shark. And I think that there's a reason for that. Uh, there might be some some stuff going on there. So thoughts on the, I, I'm going to hand it off. What, what are you guys thinking about how this book handles sort of this socioeconomic commentary it's making? I feel like they handled it well. Um, I do love that they threw that in there. It's, you know, the, the tale of the beautiful people versus the townies, the haves and the have nots and whose life is worth more and. You know, this is a movie that I watch every 4th of July, but watching it this, you know, in 2020 uh, among the pandemic, you see a lot of that in Jaws. Oh, my God. In the book, I kept thinking, right, because like online, you know, people have made comparisons to the movie, right, keeping the beaches open. In the movie, that's so nebulous. It's like it seems so stupid. In the book, it's more solidified as to why, but it almost makes it. Um, more uncomfortable right. the connections we can make between it and the pandemic like there were moments where I was like "Ooh, I don't I don't know that I'm feeling safe here you know because of this um, connection between what's more important you right. know us our livelihood or our our lives especially when the ch- you know there's a child mm-hmm. that dies and and the argument is made over and over again children are often um, in danger in this and uh, and it hits so close to home. Yeah, absolutely, with the pandemic. Well, and, um, and in the book, they, they go into more detail talking to the deli owner and the oh. hardware store. So you're more into the lives of the winter people. Um, so it hits you a lot harder. And they kind of just glaze over it in the movie. Um, that's what I love about the book, just oh, all that building of the townies and the summer people and the rivalry. Right, and, then, and they're compared... In the book, uh, I don't know who does it. I think the newspaper guy compares the the relation there as parasitic, right? That that they're that the townies are, and he's a townie. He says, you know, it it may not be nice, but we're like ticks on a dog, and if the dog leaves, we're gonna starve. 
And so we've got that animal comparison and that eating comparison right there on the page. Uh, yeah, I, I thought it was really well done and definitely so much more than in the movie. In the movie, uh, you know, um, you say automatically, I think Lee just said this, that it seems so obvious, like where the mayor is like, keep them open, you know, the protagonist is saying no and the audience is saying no, of course, there's a big shark out there because we know it, you know, a little bit of dramatic irony there. But it, I think a lot of it does come back to Ellen in chapter eight. And we can't talk about this without Sean, but um, she is really a microcosm of a lot of this mm. in the way that she wants it. I mean, she literally says, I want it injected in me. Um, yeah. and, and it's, you know, injection can be economic injection, economic st- stimulant, stimulus. And she literally says that about this man who she has sex with. And it's not for sex reasons. It's for her to receive that life, that rich life uh, that she once had physically, physically or metaphorically physically. And so um, I think that she is just a microcosm of the island, you know, Uh, and the way in which the author does that is now that I think about it is really, really interesting. Um, And we see that here in Ogden. I mean, Ogden is a ski town. And so we see we need snow just like they need beaches. And so if we don't get snow, we are in Utah, all across the Wasatch Front, if we don't get snow, our economy is really going to struggle. And so, and the, the, the pandemic played into that too, is we need tourism um, and we need people to come in and inject that money into our economy. So I think that the author, and I just didn't expect it so much in the book, but he does it really, really well. And there's these, all these, these characters have a lot of depth compared to um, what the mo- what's what's happening in the movie um, overall? But yeah, it was really cool. I, I texted Sean. He said the the loggers dropped a tree on the power line, so I don't know if we're gonna get him back. So we need to uh, happens all the time. Yeah, it happens I mean, all the time. You know, happens here all the time. It does. Yeah, <laughs> we've actually star. lost it. Yeah, um, wind. Yeah. So one of the things that you know you bring up there about Ellen that I thought was really interesting was she's so self aware. She's not confused about why she wants to um, have an affair. It's not even really an affair to her. No. She's not. She's she's aware of her sadness. She's aware of what she has and what she's given up. Um, she's aware of her own struggle just constantly. Um, it, she's not sort of a befuddled 70s housewife. Mm-hmm. She loves her family. There's times when she's super playful with Brody and you can see that she loves him, but she's so depressed and and she's aware that she's sad and she knows exactly why she's sad. And she's, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm not saying that I like what she does, but she is proactive. She's trying to heal herself in some way. Um, And she's kind of like uh, the town, right? She's trying to heal herself and it's a bad idea. Um, but it's still what she's trying to do. And it's, it's sort of interesting because I think he could have made her so unlikable. Yeah, he did. And do you think that's a, that's a, maybe that's a, is that him writing in the seventies compared to writing, um, a female character in the, in 2021 who instead, instead of looking desperate and depressed is, is more in control of her own sexuality and is in charge of it and, is is not ashamed of it um do you think that's a generational thing well no i don't think she's ashamed of her sexuality Mm -hmm. i think that she's using sex to make herself 
I think she's fully aware of what she's doing. I think she's excited about it. Mm-hmm. I think that her desperation and her sadness are about the choices she's made in life that she had to pick between two things. I actually feel like she's pretty fully actualized. Mm. So you for for him writing that in the 70s, would you say he's probably somewhat progressive? Maybe. I mean, we have to remember that there was a lot of there's a lot of movement towards that in the 70s. And and I think there are a lot of ways he's trying to be very progressive in this book. He talks about race, perhaps clumsily. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying he does a good job about it, but I see that he what he's trying to do there. He's talking he's trying to talk about race as a as a socioeconomic issue. He's trying to, I think, talk about uh, women in a in a sort of maybe clumsy but but feminist perspective. I, I do. I think he's I think that this, um, you know, it was a bestseller, but I think there's a lot of progressive things, even stuff like um, animal rights that are brought up in it. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of progressiveness and that that maybe today readers are going to be like, well, that's not. Uh, but I see the moves he's trying to make, mm-hmm. you know, I like the movie made with Daisy Wicker. Oh, yeah. Oh. The dinner party. Right. And she comes in and she's ruffling the feathers and poking the bear. And I thought that was great. That yeah. was a great. And she's gay. Uh, yep. She's gay. Yep. And, and that's, that's not really a huge issue. No. There's no. gossip, but it's not, Brody's not discuss. you know. No. Um, it's just his way of, it's a, it's a, it's a craft um, tool for him to figure out later that, that Hopper's lying, you know, and that's yeah. a, that's, I think it's a great way to do it. You know, I mean. Thanks. You know, say, well, that's not a possibility. Um, uh, I thought that was actually, yeah, you're right. I think that was pretty cool. Um, you know, I, I don't know of a lot of, well, no, that's, see, I think the sets, there's a lot of pretty progressive books coming out at that time, though. Mm-hmm. Just to check with everybody else, Daisy sneaks Brody weed. Right. Right? Yeah. Okay, that is what happens there. Where he gets all... Un- yeah. Unbeknownst to him. Yeah. Right. That's what's happening there. Yeah. Daisy's a really interesting to have such an interesting and deep character. Yeah. That's there for like two seconds. She left an uh, she left a mark. Yeah, sure. she did, and it it's was a crazy. great it was a great yeah. way of dropping a breadcrumb at there, yeah. you know. And then later on, you're at the boat, and we all know except for Hopper, right? And it's in that third person omniscient, but the reader knows what Hopper mm. doesn't, and so does the protagonist in Brody. And that that made that that concluding scene where he's like, "Where were you?" Really, really well done. I, like again, it goes back to this book really surprised me in the way in which it was written. And no wonder, like someone like uh, Spielberg says, "Okay, this is something that I can I can run with," you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I will say one thing. So I haven't. So creature features are like my one of my main movie genres. I, I love them, but I haven't read many creature feature books, right? Uh, so I've read the Jurassic Park series and I've read Jaws and I think that's kind of it for creature books. And, you know, in Jurassic Park, when I read Jurassic Park, I was scared. They, I was I was nervous in this, but like you said, it's not really a thriller. I wasn't... Yeah. I don't know. I wasn't terrified. I was nervous a lot, you know, but, um, and it's interesting because Spielberg does both of the movies and, and the movies are, Jaws is terrifying, mm-hmm. right? The movie is, is really scary. And Jurassic Park is more of an adventure 
it's got scary moments, but you know, I don't know what I'm go- where I'm going with this, but it's kind of interesting to think about what Spielberg has done there in changing those books while being pretty, um, pretty faithful sort of to them. Oh, yeah. um, and yet the tones kind of get shifted. Spielberg created a worldwide terror yeah. of going into the ocean. Oh yeah. You know, I grew up on uh, the Gulf coast in a beach town and that movie left a permanent scar where even to this day, going into an ocean and uh, any body of water, a lake, swimming pool, mm-hmm. uh, the shark tank of an aquarium, yeah. I still always think, where's the shark? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, he left that, that permanent scar um, on a lot of people. I think our generation completely. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I was, uh, I'm, in, I'm the exact same way, and I won't let my son watch it, even though it's a brilliant movie, because I don't want him to have that same phobia. And look how look like you said a global phenomenon yeah. about fear of sharks in the ocean based on a book based on a yeah. or a mo- based on a movie based on a book uh, because there's a lot less death there's a lot less shark deaths in the book if, am i right i mean it seems like there's the there's uh, the boy there's, the, the first the same there's four deaths by jaws by the fish right pardon me by the fish himself because technically is a spoiler? Can I do spoilers? I mean, you've had since oh, yeah. 1974 to <laughs> yeah, read the book. Yeah, yeah. you've had time. Um, Quint technically doesn't die by the mouth of right, Jaws, right. But so it's three, yeah, three bite, four. Because there's no, 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 no. Wait, there's the girl. There's the boy. Yep. There's the old man. Uh-huh. There's the fisherman. There's yeah, the Hopper. fisherman. Hopper. There's Hopper. Hooper. Sorry, Hooper. I, keep, I keep saying Hooper. I keep, Hopper. I, I go back. And yeah. So maybe maybe they are the same. It seemed to yeah. me that the yeah. like the movie had more deaths, but then maybe it's because they're just so dramatic in my mind. And I think it's so, that music. Yeah, it's the music. I think I think that that's. I mean, I think that's the beginning and end of it. Yeah. Yeah. And and Dory's right. Like I go when we go on vacation. If we go to the water, still to this day, even as a forty-five-year-old man, even I know the statistics, I when we body surf or whatever it is, I am not sad to get out of the water and I'm not sad to get out of the water because of this thing that the author did and what Spielberg did, uh, right. 35 I mean, years ago. Yeah. I'm a beach right. baby. I grew up part time on an Island. Um, I love beaches. I, I mean, I'm, I, I'm a hundred percent a beach baby, but I don't swim at dusk because that's when bull sharks attack. I don't swim at dawn. Like I have like, I look up beaches, like Cocoa Beaches near us. And I'm scared to go to Cocoa Beach because it has more shark bites, even though most shark bites are like nothing, right? You get a cool story and a little scar and you're fine. But um, even though I'm a beach baby, Jaws, again, global phenomenon, right? And the the book is scary. I think if we hadn't seen the movie, yeah, we might be more afraid in the book. Like there's this moment at the end where um, Brody is like, how do you die to the shark? I think that's the line, right? Yeah. Or he says it in his head, but he's kind of saying it to the shark. Um, right. At the very beginning, we're told that it's really easy for a shark to die, right? It just stops swimming. And we're told over and over again that it's stupid. And yet by the end, we don't believe any of that. Right. We believe that that shark is like brilliant and out to get them and will never die. And, you know. He's an immortal monster. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 
that and he's sort of and then there's that moment when quint like guts the shark and it tries to eat it it's like a zombie situation right the the shark that he catches the smaller shark and he's showing off yeah for hooper and and birdie right um and we get this sort of feeling that they're almost like zombies right it's it's cut completely open and it's still snapping Uh and the others come and they start attacking each other and and it's eating its own viscera like it's nuts it's like yeah it's like a zombie movie brains but it's just more shark more shark yeah more shark more shark so maybe i'm wrong maybe it is really scary it's just that the movie is so scary it the book is scary um that first passage in the book the first when she he's talking about when he killed christine hendrix mm-hmm. and the description of jaws fills the vibrations and he's heading straight up and that whole description is my heart is pounding i mean i know what happens but I'm getting nervous and I can feel it the way I felt it when I saw the movie. I feel it just the same reading the passages in the book of the shark attacks. You know, when I really felt that was when the shark doesn't get the boy, when they, when the boy is, is, is in the water and they realize the shark and they're trying to get the boy and the shark is coming at, then I was like, Oh God, Oh God, is he going to make it? Is he going to make it? Oh my God. What's going to, is Bertie? Ah, ah. And yeah. I had that yeah. heart palpitation kind of reaction to that as well. Even after all these years, it still does it to e- us. Even after all these years. So Sean, we have to do him justice because he can't be here. Loggers. Uh, we have to talk about chapter eight. And I know that Sean felt just having gone back and forth with him. I know that he felt like chapter eight was kind of worthless because there was no, there was no payoff in the end for the infidelity for Hooper and Ellen. Um, do you think there is payoff in the end? Cause I know that I told my wife that the second that Hooper got eaten in the book, I was cheering um, because not because of, not because, not because of Ellen. Cause she, like you said, she was, she was there for herself. She, she, that was her choice, but he's he so was smarmy. In the he's, book. A, he's so smarmy. And the way in the the four the the like like the foreplay. Case uh, before the, you go any further, um, maybe we should tell our readers because we keep saying chapter eight like they know. Maybe we should set this up a little. Go for it, Lee. Um. So, uh, spoilers. Uh, chapter in chapter eight of the book, uh, Bertie's wife Ellen has decided she is going to. Uh, have sex with Hooper. She makes the plan. She uh, invites him out. He he doesn't even know this is going to happen. He doesn't even know she's interested. And uh, she she even you know sets it up so that he'll have another drink. She's really sort of planned this out. She's unhappy and she's trying to find some way to um, connect her old life as a um, as a rich sort of summerer to her new life as a struggling townie married to the uh, sheriff. And for her, Hooper is that bridge. And so in chapter eight, um, she, she sets all of this up and then, and then they, they have lunch and uh, Hooper takes very little convincing. Again, he's pretty schmarmy and then they do the deed. Uh, So that's what we're talking about when we keep saying chapter eight. 
All right, uh, Case, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I wasn't sure everybody knew. So what were you saying? Uh, no, perfect. That's perfect. I, I, I'm glad you did that. Um, you're right. I mean, I feel like sometimes we, we, do, we do that. We feel like everybody knows what we know. And, but it goes back to Sean was saying in the text, and I, and I can't speak for him, but he said there was no payoff for it. And, and I believe there was payoff in the sense that the shark ate, you know, Hooper and kind of gobbled him up. Like, it, I mean, if there was a eating within the book, this was a really good eating. Um, but it I think was justified. it was justified. And I think what Sean might be thinking, and I actually don't know, is that maybe because Brody never actually found the truth, that it was not, there was no payoff in this. And I think that opens a larger question is that truth between Brody and his wife necessary for their love to go on? And Sean's coming back, so he might be able to answer that. But I think that's maybe the question that for, as a reader, I felt, yeah. I felt, yes, Hooper gets eaten bad. He gets eaten Well, so I, I almost, I kind of have a problem with the idea that there has to be a payoff. Well, I think the payoff is getting getting slaughtered by Jaws. Right, but, but I, mean, I, I don't. I didn't that, like, want Brody to know. I didn't want um, him to find out. But Brody knows. Yeah, but I think Brody but knows as much really as Brody know. wants to know. Right? right, right. As much as he can handle knowing. Right. Um. But also, I just I don't know. I think that that is that chapter. Case you were saying it's a microcosm of the whole book in terms of the socioeconomic but also in terms of jaws you know feeding on these people right i think it might just stand as that yeah i think so too and i and it was a real turning point in the book I, like after chapter eight is when they go out on the boat i mean you know it's like shortly after that is when they kind of go out in to hunt this shark and we get quint who's introduced who is as he's my favorite character in the book in the movie he's portrayed somewhat different i mean very similarly but he's more in the book um i mean in the movie he's more uh, what's not, the word's not offensive abrasive i mean he's abrasive in the book but it's a, a endear an endearing abrasion i find him more endearing in the movie because they give him that the back part of me that they don't give him in the book that's i think the one thing is that USS Indianapolis monologue yeah. would have been great in the book to give us that backstory of why he's slaughtering these fish for pure entertainment. I think one of the things that happens in the book that doesn't happen in the movie, though, with Quint, is his his obsession towards the end, his maniacal, Moby Dickish, Ahabish obsession at the end. Doesn't I don't think we really get that in the movie. And I think we get that in the book. And I don't know that it makes him more sympathetic or likable, but it makes him more interesting to I, me. I agree. I felt the same way about this kind of Moby Dickish kind of quest for him in the book. So uh, I like him better in the movie. I like him better in the movie, but I think he's more interesting in the book. Yes. I think in the book, he was the first character that I actually liked through and through, even though he was somewhat sadistic and he had the well like you were talking about earlier he had the the baby porpoise you know in the book to if you don't know in the book and he he collects a baby porpoise as bait for jaws um which is really kind of you know i mean it's inhumane and 
in the movie he doesn't do that and e- but even with that i felt like within the book i felt like here's a character i i like and i like brody i think and that's the weird thing about the chapter 8 is i feel like after chapter 8 I started to really like the protagonist more. And does the, did the writer do that with his wife having an affair mm-hmm. make us pull for Brody more because we were angry at Hooper as an antagonist along with the shark, right? Um, did you think the writer did that because we're, we felt sorry for Brody? I don't know. I think that when we have Brody and Hooper in the in the boat, We have another microcosm of the shark. We have another microcosm of the socioeconomic stuff. I think it's just another way to create echoes. I fall in love with Brody when that woman is screaming at him about her kid and you feel so much for her, but he is breaking, right? He is so, and the only way he knows how to respond to his own guilt and sadness is by anger and that's when i really get him that's when i am all about brody is um his inability to kind of deal with that sad that engulfing sadness that engulfing guilt and he snaps at her and i think that's most people find that super unlikable but i get it right I, that my heart breaks for him in that moment right um, what can he do what more can he do um, yeah you know i think what a, a profound moment for me where Brody just oh, just gets to my heart is is the dinner party uh, when Hooper gives Ellen the sh- oh I'm in and out oh can you hear me Lee I can okay how about me I can hear yes. you now too I'm back um, in black look yeah, at me I got some, I got some headphones on I'm living life I got a little bit of bourbon and some beers here there there was like a stuck piece in like the extension cord and I finally got it out and so I was able to give them their own headphones oh finally. my gosh. That was like a production nightmare. Oh, live streaming. How's everybody doing? Good. Yeah, what's we're doing? Hello, audience. <laughs> we're, we're now officially here. Oh my gosh! Oh, no, Leave comments. We'll respond. We can see your comments. So if you comment on the Facebook or the YouTube at the Banding Collective, we can respond to you. So this has been a great discussion. I've enjoyed it. I've just been stressed out trying to get these guys volume and their mics to sync. So mm-hmm. here we go. Now we're here. Continue. We're so, here. Yeah, I was saying a, a profound moment for me where, uh, like I said, I, I love Brody. I've always have. Yeah. But the moment when they're, um, it's the dinner party and Hooper gifts Ellen with the shark tooth. Oh, yeah. And she takes the pearls off that Brody gave her. <gasps> oh, that moment? And throws them on the coffee table. Like, and like, he goes, yes. like she's not even thinking about him. And he yes. puts them in his pocket. Yeah, he picks them up and put them in his pocket. My pocket, my heart broke. My heart yeah. just broke. So I forgave him for his loudish, you know, brutish behavior at the dinner party because look what happened. She oh, passed yeah. him aside for Hooper and he saw that and he felt that. And oh, oh that, yeah. that's a heartbreaking moment. Yeah. Well, and it starts earlier when when she puts on her wedding pearls for this dinner party that she's asked Hooper, that she's put together just for Hooper, right? He notices it. He's like, she's wearing the pearls I gave her for our wedding. Huh. And then, and so it like escalates, right? Yeah. And he's not a man with a lot of money. No. So those pearls no. did not come by easily, you know? I mean, it's, you know, and that, well, and, and it goes even back to like the, the introduction of their, their relationship where, and, and we see these as, as humans, right? That they said, well, when we first started dating, we both started to go to each other's friends to, you know, try to co-mingle to mix groups together, uh, the summer people with the money and the townies. 
And then eventually we do, and this goes back to what Lee was saying earlier with Ellen, that uh, why she sympathizes with her is that Brody early on obviously was not willing to spend time with the summer people, the Yaleys. And she says, well, we tried both, but we always ended up going with Brody's friends, right? And she, she, she really holds this against him. Um, but to see the, the pearls and the snart, the shark fin or the shark tooth. Yeah. Again, another metaphor, which this book is really, the more I read it becomes better and better because it's like, you know, she takes this, she takes the shark's tooth, which is an outsider from the outsider and replaces her husband's pearls, the townies. Both from the ocean. Right. You know, yeah, both from the ocean, right? Yeah, I I mean, I don't know if the writer knew this, but, you know, I mean, he's a millionaire now, I'm guessing, I'm hoping, um, if he's still alive. But but those metaphors are really, really well done. And so, I mean, I was surprised, Lee. I was so surprised about how... And did you know this going in when you suggested the book? No, I 100% thought that the book was going to be garbage. I'm just going to admit it. I thought it would be hilarious. We'd make fun of it some. We'd talk about how much better the movie is, blah, blah, blah. I was not expecting to love it. Yeah. I really wasn't. Because we, we, uh, we hammered Twilight. We hammered Hemingway. Um, and then, but this is the first one that we've all said, this has a lot of merit. Well, I mean, Hemingway has merit. That's a longer discussion for a previous <laughs> podcast. But Well, and it's not that this isn't problematic. Right. Right? Right. Um, it's just that even when it's problematic, it's still trying to do stuff. Mm-hmm. That it, you know, I don't know. <sighs> I, I do have a question, though. Yeah. Does he need to spend as much time on the sex scenes as the, the death scenes with the shark? I mean, I know you guys are like, I'm being painted as the prude here. I get that. <laughs> Um, maybe I am the prude. I'm, I, I do leave, I live a very prudish life. I, I almost went into the convent, um, you know, except for I was man, a male and then, I mean, yeah. no, I mean, and you guys, well, I, I mean, you've, you've only known me for 30 years and, and Lee's only known me for a decade and Brandon's known me, you know, I'm a, I'm a prudish, very, I'm a prudish person, you know, I'm very conservative. I don't think you're being prudish. I just, I think the problem with the sex scenes is I think there's two problems with the sex scenes and I don't think the sex scenes are problematic if we can somehow have both things happen. Mm -hmm. I think one reason the sex scenes are uncomfortable is because they're kind of treated the same way the shark is. Mm -hmm. Sean compared it to a field guide and they really are kind of written that way. There's this detachment, there's this observerness and it's not voyeuristic. It's, um, I wouldn't say clinical. I wouldn't go so far as to say clinical, but neither are field guides, right? It's it's sort of somewhere in between, and it's not that different to talk about. Sorry, it's not that different than the talk about the shark. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Christina Miller has has asked, can we talk about the allegory between shark and humans? Is it possible to overcome the monster? And I think this is a place to talk about it. I think. I, you know, in a lot of sci-fi uh, and creature features and things like that today, uh, the message is often the humans were the monster all along. I don't think that's the message here. I think it's that we're all animals. I don't, I know that Jaws is the monster, but I don't know that he's the, mo- it's the monster. I think in a lot of ways it's, 
the animal in us all that's just trying to survive and feed and at every point we're hurting someone else when we're trying to do it what do y'all think am i making sense or am i going off on a yeah i agree i think that you know the monster in this is well the first time i think the monster in this is not i mean not the monster this but you know the monster the shark i don't think the monster the shark in this is the bad guy uh not in the book i mean in the movie for sure he is painted that way. I don't know if it's a he or she. Um, but in the book, I don't think the shark is the antagonist. Um, I think the shark is just a part of our... Part of that that culture there. And it's, it's disruptive in that culture. A culture that people have, on Amity, right, have come to expect the Yaleys on one side and the Townies on the other. And the shark is a disruptor, not a, not an antagonist, not a Darth Vader. You know, he is a. Except know, for Quint, I mean, for except Quint, for Quint, he's a, yeah, he's an antagonist. But, but Quint is also his antagonist. That's a different kind of. Yeah. I think there's a lot of relationships here in terms of the shark and in terms of the townies and in terms of the summer people. I think it's an 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 uh, an ecochasm. It's like, um, I think it's hard. I think that's kind of the point here is it's yeah. hard. We're not necessarily rooting against or for any of these people. There is a monster in here. I just remembered. There's this, the, the mob, the yes, mob guy. The mob There's guy. a mob yeah. guy. Yeah. We never really meet him so much. Which is He's really, a monster. Yes. This is really interesting too. Cause that brings in the motivation of the mayor in a way that the movie does not at all. And the mayor in this, yeah. in this is suave, right? I mean, he is, he is a, he's not the clown in no, the movie he's the clown absolutely in this he's a socialite he's rich he's a socialite he's a real estate developer and his but he was a townie but he was a townie and his motivations are based on he's survival just like the shark right i mean he's got the mob like you said the mob is be pulling pulling the strings of all this how many times in the book did they say who is who is the mayor who are the mayor's partners and they're like who are his partners? Who are his partners? And, you know, at the end we find out that it's a... Who knew the mob would be tied into Jaws? Right, you know, but the mob, I mean, this is the East Coast yeah. in the 1970s. Um, and it's, you know, I mean, it's not, of and course, then, the mob, but it could be, okay, the mob, you know, that makes sense. Well, and the mayor's not the bad guy, right? So then yeah. we think, oh, well, then the mayor's got to be the monster. But the mayor's only in with the mob because his his wife was dying a million years ago and he had to borrow some money. Right. Right. And we love her. Sweet little Mrs. Vaughn. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he tried to repay them and they said no. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he tried to not be in their pocket. Right. Twice. He gave them checks and they wouldn't cash them or give him back his marker. So, again, that's that that parasitic relationship. Yeah. Which again, goes back to my thought that this book kind of blew my, blew my mind in the way that I like Lee, I, when you suggested it, I thought we were going to, this is going to be a, a killer thriller that, uh, that we kind of ripped on the prose, you know, <laughs> but the prose was pretty good too. You know, I thought that the writing was pretty good. I thought the sentences were great. Um, I totally highlighted stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and some yeah, the way that he juxtaposes so many different like things of our lives, you know, with with when it comes to wealth and when it comes to greed and when it comes to envy and when it comes to loss um, and all of these things, 
again, I thought we were going, I thought this was going to be one of those ripper uppers that we plan to do over the next 12 months. Right. But it wasn't, it was a, it was a really cool book. And maybe that says something to Spielberg too, because you know, Spielberg, it's like, he says, I can pick up this book, you know, um, I can pick up this book and it's got a lot to it because it does have the townies. Yeah. And it has the econo- the the movie does have does show partly the economic struggle, the fourth of July, uh, what happens if the beaches close. And again, that goes back to that whole kind of pandemic stuff that we start, talked about earlier. What 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 do we how do we balance life and ec- economy and, and safety? Uh, but it was a it was a great book. And so I'm gl- I'm really glad we read it. So I, I do have a question too though, um, about Hooper, like this guy this guy uh i'm not a fan because because you know obviously i'm the prude in the room i am i'm i'm offended by sex scenes um no you're not i i am i I am are they hard to read case i think lee are you embarrassed when you're reading them that's what i want do you blush when you read yeah yeah no i think that sean and lee had it right that it was like a sorry it's weird sorry men but I think that women write them better. You know, I think men are it, men kind of. Well, I mean, and there was. Is that a challenge? The author nailed it in a way during <laughs> chapter eight. We go back to chapter eight where they have this. And these are kids outside. These are high schoolers. Cases like they can, so they can hear little, us talking right now. About so this. <laughs> Anyways, when the when Hooper gets to that first kind of O, uh, hopefully they don't know what O oh. means, right? These high schoolers. Um, oh my god that was cringy that was cringy and it was but it was supposed to be I know. right yeah 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 yes. and they set it up that way he hit the it, mark it wasn't cringy because the writing he was hit bad. the mark it was cringy because it was cringy it was supposed to be she cringes she can't get it out of her mind right it was like he was a zombie right but she basically painted him as a zombie but then again <laughs> thank you for <laughs> you're welcome you're but then welcome. again he told her that when they're oh he did about oh he did he like, told her yeah hey I'm gonna go real fast. It's gonna be ugly, but then it's and, gonna but then be I'm ugly. Here for and it was aggressive, right? Yeah, right. It's like a um, shark. But then he's like, and the next time the... through, I'll it'll be nice and you know more sensitive. Yeah. But by that time, she was done. You know, she yeah. was done. She was ready to be. She said there. she liked the next time, but she couldn't get it out of her head. Yeah, yeah, because he yeah. was his. Yeah. She literally says, "I'm here too." Right. She literally, yeah, which was really she cool. Literally for dialogue. Was really, really well done. Yeah. <laughs> Lee's losing it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading it, I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> she said that out loud. <laughs> and so that's where I think she is a pretty self actualized. That's why I don't think she's ashamed of sex, right? Right. Well, and makes him, as the author, more self aware of being a man. Than I pre- previously gave him credit for. Right. The other problem with the sex scene, and someone, Facebook user, I don't know your name, uh, said, Lee, even when it's problematic, it's still trying to do stuff. This is literally me. I had said that earlier. And, and so now we're going to talk maybe a little bit about that. The other problem with the sex scenes is rape <laughs> fantasy well, comes up yeah. in Chapter 8. Dory and said that, yeah. Sorry, Dory, did you want to say something? No, 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 no. no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, she had... Right before we started the podcast, she had said that. So go on, Lee. I'm sorry. So, um, so in it, in this scene, 
Hooper as 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 like uh, some form of um, dangerous foreplay in the restaurant asks her about her fantasies. She's brought this up. So um, he's taking it and he's now convinced her to tell. And uh, she she talks about rape fantasy. But I think, again, if we look at this about time period, so sex studies have shown, especially during the 70s and 80s, that rape fantasies were, were actually really common for women. And a lot of that has to do with taboos about women wanting sex. So I think it's really easy now to look at that and say, fuck this guy, right? But... It actually, I think, goes back to the fact that she wants to have sex with someone who's not her husband for reasons other than love or even a long-term affair or even um, connection. She wants to do it to feel better about her socioeconomic uh, situation, um, class. And uh, and so there's a, a certain amount of, I think, a probably semi-appropriate shame in that. And so I think that's where the rape fantasy uh, plays into that. Um, that being said, uh, that was an uncomfortable read for me. That and her, her other fantasy of being a sex worker. And isn't that every woman's fantasy, she says? Um, well, and it's. I think she's trying to do some really awkward flirting there. Yeah. Because he's like, is it yours? And she's like, oh, well. She's a little rusty in the flirt department. She's like, no. <laughs> but it, it must be someone's. It's a very... Very strange set of dialogue. Yeah, it's it's uncomfortable. And then there's the whole rape thread through the whole book that he mm-hmm. keeps coming around to the... No, I... no, speak more on that. Because I, I didn't... When you said the... Dory said, this, said this to me over text. And I... You know, I knew it in chapter eight with the fantasies. But I didn't see it throughout the book as a continual metaphor. So it's, please. Yeah, the, when he talks about... Um, the women in the town, how they want to keep all the bad news hush-hush for the summer people because they want them to come back. They don't want the bad publicity. He, you know, a, a few occasions he talks about the, the summer people um, experiencing a string of rapes, and but none of them wanted to come to the police and report No, I think it, it was the town people who experienced. Was it the town? Or, I, think, I thought it was the summer people, and, but nobody wanted there, to there's justify. There's a series of rapes. Yes, and that goes back to the whole... Um, actually had this conversation with Christina Miller, who's been commenting tonight. Um, like uh, Lee said, it's um, uh, like about the fantasy where they don't, they feel like they can't be sexual. Or, you know, a modern woman now is like, yeah, we can be sexual, we can assert our sexual dominance. But back then they couldn't, they couldn't have multiple partners. And, and so for them, that rape fantasy, it was a thing for them. It does, well, and then it goes back to the series of rapes is compared to the shark, um, not directly, but indirectly, right? They kept things hush-hush. They're trying to keep things hush-hush about the shark. So there's a line there. I, di- I don't know that it works, but it's definitely there. There's also a race issue in it, um, which I think if it was the only time race was brought up would be a reason to throw the book in the garbage. Um they mentioned that the rapist is black, uh, and and I was I was really uncomfortable. I not uncomfortable, angry, and I stand by that. I still am about that detail. I think it was unnecessary. I think it was in, problematic. Is not a strong enough word. On the other hand, there's also other scenes uh, where race is brought up, and um, and sort of just 
uh, you know, there's a, there's a scene where, you know, a, a black father is putting his black child to bed yeah. and the child wants a story. Um, there's a scene where they talk about how one of the townspeople was going to hire two busboys and, and now can't afford two. Um, and he's worried that it's going to cause racial strife because he's going to hire the black busboy and not the white busboy because he feels like the black busboy needs the money more because um, the black people in the town are suffering a harder economic hardship than the white people. Uh, townies, even though everybody is is failing, and so I th again, this is one of those places where I think the author is trying to do something. I do think he fails miserably, but I do I recognize something is being attempted there. Does that make sense? I don't want to give him too much credit, but seen in the scope of the book, I might be wrong. What do you guys think? Go for it again. Um, yeah, I think you're right on the money. It's it's clumsily done. It's not. I wasn't a fan of that. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, I thought. Well, I mean, I think it could be done less. I mean, especially when he's talking about hiring one of the two young boys, oh. you know. And I think there's actually a point where he says that the young, um, the young um, African American boy, actually worked harder yeah. than the other kid did oh, and then he goes to say thank god that white boy wasn't jewish yeah. <laughs> I thought, oh yeah, yeah stop yeah. stop while you're ahead. right well that's yes yeah, stop that's like yeah. our that's our whole hemingway discussion <laughs> from last time is yeah. hemingway was racist and anti-semitic anti you know <laughs> um i don't think this author comes i don't think he i don't think that's it i think that he's doing his best like lee said maybe clumsily to talk about this in a way that people would talk about it in 1975 um, and he, I think in 1975 he's saying as an author he's maybe he's addressing it in a way that he's trying to say you know what the best worker no matter what where they come from socioeconomically or, or racially should get the job uh, he did it clumsily I think what is what Lee is saying and I agree uh, completely with that. Um, I do think like we, it's really weird if we go back to chapter eight again, the, the fantasy stuff again, brings race back into it. And it does. it's very, it's very blatant. It's bad. And Hooper is the pusher of that. It's not, yeah. that's not actually Ellen. That is, that is, that's Hooper saying, well, what do you think about this? And, you know, I, it's part of, but it, and it's, again, it's part of, why we don't like Hooper, and that is definitely on purpose, right? I think so. Yes, I think it is. Um, and it, you know, and we talked about this with with Hemingway in that way too, though, is that at least this author did it through Hooper, someone that we can say right. this guy's an asshole straight through and through. You we know? already hate. We him. already hate him if he brings this up, and which, of course, I saw it as as Hooper being this is an envious thing and or playing mm -hmm. to things. Yeah, I think that the I think the author is trying. I thought the author was trying, um, uh, maybe clumsily, forty five years ago. Yeah, you know, um, we do have to think it was. We yeah, 70, I mean seventy four. But I don't think that he was outwardly 
he was in, he was outwardly Hemingway. He wasn't outwardly Hemingway. He wasn't outwardly Hemingway. Right. That's going to yeah. be our new that's, term. That's, that's such a compliment. Oh my God. <laughs> You're so not Hemingway, Brandon. You're so not Hemingway. You're so not outwardly Hemingway. I mean, jumping to a new set, like, but still, Hooper, <laughs> talking about, well, Benchley himself talking about um, penis size constantly. Penises, penis size. Right. Shark right. size. You know what I just realized? Shark the size. Shark just size. went down. Shark size. No, it's it's. I think it's a direct tie. Because um, he talks about that in the fantasy. You know, when I said penis size, the music died right when I said that. That's so <laughs> fucking awkward. And they're, um, all, they're all high school children. I know. Forgive me. I'm so sorry. For those who are um, joining on the live feed and are like, why is there so much orchestral music? Well, we don't know. It's just band practice, apparently. <laughs> Behind the podcast studio, we had no idea. So those of you just joining, thanks for hanging in with us on the live stream. Brandon during, did during ask if practice. they. Brandon did ask if they could play Jaws. I tried to get him to play Jaws. It's like the Jaws uh, theme. Yeah, yeah we, the, we don't have the notes. Sorry. <laughs> Do you know any John Williams out there? <laughs> um, yeah, he, that would have been amazing. <laughs> I don't, wouldn't it though? Like, I like agree. a little an intro. Dun dun dun. And yeah. and I just I I just need to put a shout out to the Jaws theme music because it is probably the best theme music ever written for anything. Yeah, ever. Amen. It feels that shark point of view. Yes, it does. And we still use it. We still joke about it when we get in the oh, ocean yeah. at the in yep. San Diego or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yes, Facebook user, this music that you are hearing during this podcast is live and unplanned. Unfortunately. I mean, or fortunately. Okay. However you look nice. at it. Yeah. It's beautifully it done. Pretty. It is actually the Ogden Youth Orchestra. Gorgeous. They're all in high school. They're all under 18. And they are directed by Gabriel Gordon. Who's, He's doing a fantastic job. Who is yeah. who is amazing and does so many things for our community. So shout out to Gabriel Gordon for the things that he does in Ogden. Um, they're fantastic and they're lovely to hear. Yes, Facebook I, I user. I thought I was at the wrong location when I showed up. That's why I texted <laughs> oh, you. Oh, yeah. Um, where in the Monarch are you? Yeah. Because <laughs> there is an orchestra in the hallway. Yeah. No, I mean, what Gabriel does is really a good... I mean, we just... Uh, lucked out. They sound with it. beautiful. They are beautiful. Yes, um, they do. They it sound sounds beautiful. Yeah, way better if they had a Jaws theme. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we can put it in a request next. Week. Maybe like <laughs> then after that we could do Star Wars. And, <laughs> like, um, it's like who, who plans I, ahead? Let's plan ahead with this. Yeah. Stuff. So I'm thinking for this, let's let's wrap this up at seven because it's okay. like yeah. nine o'clock for yeah. Lee. It's almost nine. Not oh. for us. It's 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 early for us, but I mean. It's really fun and to actually. I'm, it's I'm a, once again in finals week. Yes, I turned in grades on Tuesday for Weber State, but you know my life, I'm always teaching. Yeah, earlier today, Brandon and I, uh, well, we interviewed Paisley Rectell, who's the poet laureate of Utah, and she was, I was, that was really good. I was way. shaking because she is that, what's the word, uh, intelligent intimidating first time i saw chase shaking during a podcast yeah i i was nervous i actually printed out my questions because i was that fantastically intimidated by paisley she's really fantastic and uh i don't know where i was going with that i was like this is our second podcast. this is the whiskey i'm drinking whiskey now you know it's it's great um so i think this like when it comes to this book do you think that there were people who read the book in 74 and the, the, the movie came out in 75. It was really, really quick. 
So I'm guessing that this guy had an amazing, amazing agent who sold the movie rights really close to when the book was actually coming out, which is really cool. Um, do you think there were people who read the book and said the movie was bad? No. Yeah, I don't. Okay. Well, that's easy. I thought it would be a longer answer, but I I agree. Okay. You know what? I, I think when it comes to the unbelievability, although now we find out it's fully believable of the mayor just being like, no. Oh, oh wait, I have, I just remembered the part in the book that reminded me so much of the pandemic. Um, so for, again, for those of you who haven't read the book, this isn't in the movie and it's really, you wouldn't have known how smart it is until today, but when they first, the first time they closed the beaches, a lawyer goes out and starts reading parts of the constitution. He's demanding to be allowed to swim and he's, he's claiming that the constitution gives him a right to swim. Um, just a side note, um, because I just remembered that and it was like, Oh my God, he's like out there screaming. I was like, Oh, this feels familiar. So I do think that maybe people were like, well, we lost some stuff that was important, but I just don't know that you can watch Jaws and not think it's a phenomenal film. Like I said, it's a cinematic masterpiece and that's, that's not a bold statement. No, it's not. It is. It is. is. I watched it last night and the pacing. Yes. Well, no. and Sean said this, and Sean's out there. I hope he's listening. Um, I hope he's a, like has found internet. But he said this in our chat. He said that like the casting for the movie was spectacular. It was dead on. And though like Hooper was a different person in the movie, and, thank goodness. And I don't know that I could have watched this. Hooper oh on the no, screen. no! I hated Hooper. I wanted yeah. him to get eaten so much earlier, and I loved when he got eaten. I got he got eaten. I was so happy with him being chowed down by a shark. Um, but Sean's absolutely right. Like what Spielberg did with casting, and because Brody, in the book, is like thirty-two, he's chubby. He, you know, he's he's got. I thought he was forty. Was he forty? Yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's forty. He's concerned about. He's, he's got, like, he's oh, he's chubby. he's concerned he's about getting, his. He's got his he's weight. His paunch. He's got his paunch. His forty paunch. His forty paunch. His paunch. A perfectly yeah. normal. He's not. Well, he's not. Paunch. He's not Shider, right? Who well, is? Look, I that Shider had a lifelong. I still have a crush on Shider. Yes. Yes, and I do. Yeah. You know, I mean, I watched it last <laughs> night, and I was like. That dude is amazing. And, it, you know, his jawline. And we talked, uh, Dory and I were talking about earlier about our genetics. Like his jaws line? No matter what I do, <laughs> all I ever have is the, the Chavez, like, what is it? Like the, the Chavez <laughs> turkey, neck, right? turkey neck. And I can't get away At from it. At least that. you have a, a chin. Uh, I have the yeah. Camacho <laughs> slope. Yes. I think this is, is this all because are we all is this the whole latin thing because we, I, we yeah. all have i thought you were italian case yeah i was italian <laughs> well that's what i was talking about paisley rectal earlier she's chinese american and she always gets your italian and I i'm get like that too yeah yeah they never me and, too yeah, i get that too and, are you italian and, yeah, or greek are you italian or greek and i'm like well actually i'm half mexican-american um, and, and I said, we should, all of us Italians should get some coffee together, you know, because like, I get Camacho. That's an Italian name. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 No, yeah, yeah, no yeah. it's not. No, Camacho is not. 
it's like Smith for yeah. Latinx. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I'm we're to the point in our life with uh, this is I'm way off track. Okay, this is case having whiskey. My mom. <laughs> this is case b- drinking non-alcoholic beer before. So I was so professional, wasn't I? Yeah. Um, but but at least I don't have to worry because Dory and Lee have seen me at my very best. And which means your very worst. <laughs> which means my very worst. Um, I've known you for a long time. Yes, yeah, so, I mean they've both seen me at my very worst. Before uh, we wrap, though, I'd like to encourage anyone watching. We got a few people watching. I'd like you know if you have questions, we can yes, see the questions yes, come yes, up. Yes, Type yes. those into the Facebook, uh, wherever you're watching, the YouTube or the Facebook page, or the group, and we can answer any questions you guys, any any of you have, um, or we can respond or or just say hi or whatever. We'd love to see you. They, they should pop up here. So say a little something something and. And we'll respond. And we're, well, we're, trying we're waiting to... for that. I actually have something not about Jaws that I kind of want to say. Yes. So this past week, I had the opportunity to read Case's upcoming novel, no, Let the Wild Grasses yeah. Grow, uh, here we which go. is going to be coming out of Tory House Press. And listeners, be excited. It's a beautiful book. Stop. And it's, again, called Let the Wild Grasses Grow. It will be out with Tory House Press. Case, when is that book coming out? Never. And <laughs> never. Stop that. Lee, you were a gem to me. I told you that. October. It's, it's coming October. out in October. October. And thank that you. Was my, thank you so much for reading it. It's and it's, it's a really beautiful everything, book. Everything. It's based it's, on my grandparents, my Cordova Chavez grandparents. And it's a reimagination of what they lived through in northern New Mexico, southern Colorado a hundred years ago. Um, and kind of like the idea of assimilation, you know, which we see through my mom, you know. <laughs> um, but now, thank you, Lee, so much. You are a gem. I'm excited. I just couldn't let the uh, podcast you, you should go have, without it. Because you're, you're making me cry. Case has, you, <laughs> you write so beautifully, Case. I'm excited to read That's your book. It. It, and better, you know, I enjoyed Jaws, but I enjoyed Let, just one more time, Let the Dude. Wild Grasses Grow I, by Case Johnston even more. Lee, <laughs> Lee, now I'm angry with you. Now, <laughs> I know, but I, angry in the way you love family. Um, but thank you so much. It was, uh, All right, Alexis it was a, says, it was uh, hi, Dory. Uh, so, hi, Dory. Hi, Dory. Yeah. Christina's asking, what was your favorite thing in the book, not in the movie? Oh, that's a really good question. You know, for me, honestly, it's the dinner party scene and the, the scene with Brody. That touched me. Um, which which scene? With the him? Brody with the pearls. Uh, the, the whole scene where he's he's angry, he's getting drunk, and we can forgive him for being a, a loudish brute because of, look at his wife. is just... She's kind of screwing him over. She is. Yeah. Um, yeah. For me, I love that whole dinner party scene. Yeah. I, 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 along the same lines, my favorite scene was probably when Brody pinned Hooper up against the, in, like, just manhandled him and said, yeah. where were you last Wednesday? For everybody listening, that is chapter eight was last Wednesday. Chapter eight, obviously, is. Right. A big deal. And, 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 and Brody knew. Yeah. And I think that was my favorite scene because it was so human. It was so, God, it touched on so many things that we all go through in life. It had nothing to do with the shark. It had nothing to do, both of these scenes, right? It had nothing to do with shark. And that's why the book surprised me, I think, because it was not the shark. 
couple, the human drama. The human drama. Yes. When he pinned him up and he said, where were you last Wednesday? And he said, I was with, what's her name again? Daisy Wickham. Daisy Wickham. And, and he's like, oh, really? And we all know that Daisy was a lesbian. Uh, a lesbian. And, he, and we all knew right then that, yeah, Brody knew. Brody knew. That was my favorite scene. Yeah. My favorite thing in the book, not in the movie, is throughout the book, in the same way there are vignettes from the sharks, not point of view, but third person omniscient where the shark is the main character in those vignettes. There are throughout the book vignettes of the townspeople, ones that are not main characters in the book, some which are never seen in the book other than in those vignettes that give you a, a global view of this town. And I really liked those. I think you could take them out and the book would still work, but I really enjoyed those. They were sometimes tender. Um, they were sometimes less than tender, but they, they always added an atmosphere that I think the movie lacks, even though, of course, the movie, one of my favorite movies of all time. But again, it, it, it created a human drama just to see people in their homes or out on the beach or, or whatever living. I, I, again, I like, I like the idea of spotlighting townies. You know, and townies don't, they're just not on the beach. They're not just in the mountains like we are here. Um, like, so I went to school at uh, my, did my MA at Kansas State, and it's a small town in Manhattan, Kansas. And it was the same thing. It was, this, it was student life at the university, and then there were townies, those who had grown up, they were probably agriculturally, uh, uh, they're agricultural workers, and that's a very real thing and it's not just real in this book but it's and it's not just real in 1975 that is very real today it's not just real in the united states it's real in cancun and it's real in puerto vallarta and it's real in and it's real in greece it's real in corpus christi Texas. it's real in, where i'm from right it's yep. real in corpus christi it's, it's Texas. real in florida it's real yeah. in louisiana yeah and My it's like homes. these these and i think that's the heart of the book isn't it i mean mm -hmm. at the end it of is. it it, it comes down to how do we attract tourists to save our economy, to keep our economy, our economy flowing when bad things happen? How do we hide the underbelly of real life from tourists? I mean, and how do we put our own lives in danger for that? Right. And how do we say we are lesser than yeah. because their money is more important than our lives that's the that's the i think that's the crux of the book isn't it yeah yeah and then there's there's this moment there's a, a bunch of moments not a moment where there's this sort of reverse snobbery as i think the way the author puts it i wouldn't quite put it that way but um where you're you're not as good if you're a summer right like you don't have the there's a certain pride the townspeople have in their poorness and that's so real that's that's so on the nose and and that's one of the things that the book really gets right is this um this hard pride i i absolutely i agree and i think ogden isn't where we live is a perfect example of that like we have our trail system yep. you know we have our mountain bike system we have i mean like xterra the biggest like championship for mountain biking in the world is held here and we look at the people that come from come for it and we think get off our trails 
these are our trails. We want them to come down and we want them to spend money on historic 25th street. Um, but we get aggravated when they actually get here. And I think Brandon can speak a lot to this, can't Brandon, right? I mean, the way in which Ogden outdoors kind of like, yeah, I deal with it personally because you know, I, I want to promote Ogden so that everybody comes, but I don't want everybody to come. So <laughs> yeah, right. it's rough. Yeah. And that's, I live, to, like, I live just outside of Disney world here oh. in central Florida. I live in a little town called Claremont. It's actually kind Are of Are you a near town. Brandon, Florida, by the way? I have a picture of me as a kid by Brandon, Florida. I don't know. Oh, okay. I might be. Yeah. I don't know. Um, the town I'm in is, is, is actually pretty rich, and it's weird uh, because I'm not used to that. But they're also really, they're really mad that people are moving here, and yet they want people to move here so it can still be a prosperous, rich town. Change, don't change. Change. Yeah. Don't, don't change. Don't change. Change. Don't change. Don't change yeah. And so even though it's 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 not the same kind of townies, it's still that same, I don't know, perpetual kind of thing. And then in Louisiana, of course, you know, South Louisiana, it's more traditional, right? Like, come to New Orleans, but just don't don't get in our stuff. Yeah. Right. <laughs> don't right. mess it up. Yeah. I, yeah. And Brandon can see it. Brandon, I think Brandon is in touch with like our situation more than anybody. And I think when it comes down to it, we look at this book and there's so much to it. There really is. And it's, it's deep. And the, and the, the shark is, the shark is COVID or the shark is, you know, AIDS in the 1980s or the shark is in New York city or something like that. Right. Or the shark is, I mean, the shark is just a shark in the sense that everybody's scared of it. And what do we do to protect ourselves economically to weather the storm? And how do we balance? And how do we balance economics, staying alive, having jobs? Those are important. I mean, I'm a, I'm, you know me, I'm a hugely liberal, but people need to make money and have jobs and and live and so the shark is like i said and also don't have their kids eaten right and yeah exactly it's a choice we should ever everybody. have to make yeah it's yeah, a, that's bad this is this is i mean this book actually really speaks to us in a way that i did not expect it to speak to us is it covid is it the stock market in 2008 is it the bubble from the software bubble and uh, the burst you know what is it you know, and I think the shark is just enigmatic of all of that, right? I mean, and this may be the whiskey speaking. It is. I mean, man, this is really good. This is the best. Um, this is the best case I've seen. <laughs> this is fantastic. I think this is my brightest. Um, <laughs> there's a reason why Jaws resonates. It touches everybody mm -hmm. in different ways, but it still affects and, everybody. And, and yeah, the fear, yeah. right, at its cornerstone. Right. Fear, yes. Fear is just a huge part of our lives. Fear of the unknown, fear of the things we can't control, fear of things that don't make sense. Because that's really what Jaws is. They talk about this over and over again. It's not making sense. It's not doing what it should do. We can't guess where it's going. We can't guess. We don't even know if it's still here, right? Uh, mm, that's I think good. That right, yeah, that's a really good point. It's like we don't know if it... 
And that they say that over and over, don't they, Lee? I mean, it's like in, yeah, yeah, over like, and over. It's got to be. Well, he's gone. probably it's gone. Gonna, yeah. What are we gonna do? Just close the beach forever? How do we even know if it's gone? Right? Like. <laughs> well, that sounds familiar. But, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. It sounds. It's it 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 hit close to the bone. It hit yeah. a lot yeah. closer to the bone. But I think this idea of fear and survival, this is the core of what it is to be both an animal and a human. And I think that's. That's what that's what's up with this. I think that's why it's so compelling. Yes, absolutely. Hey, Lee, uh, take us out. What do we know what the next book is? Uh, I'd love to have uh, you know our viewers read along with us and then and then participate in the next live uh, version of this. So, yeah, I I believe so. At the beginning of our project, uh, for we each chose a book. Jaws was mine, and I think that Fight Club. Am I right here, Case? Is Fight Club next? No, I have yet to choose a book. So, Sean, I don't... I th- I thought that was Tia's, but... I thought Sean chose Twilight. No, you chose Twilight. Wasn't that the whole debate? Who chose that was, Twilight? That was the whole debate, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to settle this right here. Case chose Twilight. <laughs> Did I really? He, he chose it as a joke, and we were all like, yeah, let's do it. Okay, so then Tia's next. Yeah, yeah. and Tia... And I think... I think Tia's Fight Club, right? Am I... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I think that Dory should jump on with us, as long as we get the audio visual. Yeah, so here's what I'm going to say: We will let you know what the next book is. We think it might be Fight Club, but we have to discuss. We should have had our ducks in a row. I swear to uh, God, Sean, Sean chose Twilight. But uh, follow That's us looking on. Uh, looking forward, the group page is Lee. The group page is Bourbon. Beer. No. Bourbon, bourbon beer, beer and books. books. The, let's try this again. The group page on Facebook is Bourbon Beer and Books, and uh, you should join us there. Have conversations, read along. We'll post for sure what the next book is in the next couple of days. Okay, so before we get off, and I know it's the uh-oh, whiskey uh-oh. again, Case, right? Who gave him whiskey? I know it's really good. That I, I put the three high on West the table. Really good. <laughs> it's really good. Um, so Lee, and this is like revenge. Post Her that. and Saul Lemerand are coming out with a new textbook about. Uh, now you must uh, explain. Yeah, so we're. You want to do it? No, you do, you know do it? it. You got you it. You do it. You want me to do it? Okay. So uh, my my writing partner Saul and I are uh, next year. We'll have a um, a book out about teaching podcast in the creative writing classroom. And uh, we've got some guest people writing in it, including Case, and uh, that'll be out next year. And it and all it came has from... nothing to do with Jaws. No, it and does. And it won't it's... be as interesting. But it's going to be fantastic. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. Saul is amazing. And, and, Lee is amazing. And Brandon, obviously. you're going to edit all of this real, real nicely, right? This is this is as it, we're live, so you know this is the final product <laughs> right here. You, the, thank you for joining you us. What you get. <laughs> what you see is what you get. Yeah, I don't know who these two people are who have hung strong the entire time. But Christina, yeah. we God know Christina. Christina. No, she left. She bailed. So there's somebody else, oh, two okay. other people. And uh, it's not thank my you wife. For joining us. That's damn heroes. That's who yeah, you are. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we're yeah. Is that a wrap? Is that an official wrap? That's, I think that's this is a wrap. wrap. Uh, yeah, okay, that's yeah. official wrap. Okay. Well, wrap. We miss Sean. Sorry, buddy. Yeah. And Tia. We, miss Tia. we always miss you. Um, and thank you so much, Dory, for joining us thank for this you for one. Thank you, Dory. Thank yeah. you. Thanks, Dory. Thank you, Brandon, for uh, running things. Anytime. Sorry it was sort of messy, 
we had a we had live music. No idea that. Yeah, we happen. had no. You handled that well, Brandon. And well, thanks for the bourbon. <laughs> oh, Christina's still here. Christina's I'm still, still here. here. <laughs> thank you. And uh, Alexis, thank you. Alexis, and Facebook user, thank you. <laughs> Facebook user, yeah. Well, yeah, that's you, probably Sean. It's somebody <laughs> in the. Uh, he does do that from now and now and then, but yeah. Hey, yeah. thanks you guys for watching. I appreciate it. We'll be here next month. Uh, it's usually the first week in the month. And so the first Tuesday or whatever in the month. So we'll pick the book. We'll put it up in the page, which the Facebook page is Bourbon Beer and Books. It's a group. Sorry. It's it's a group, not a page. So you can if you know ask to join. We let everybody in. I don't know why you have to ask to join. We, we let everybody in. So. Except racist and homophobes. Mm. You have to answer a question here first. Yeah. And misogynist. And misogynist, yes. yes. Racist, homophobes, misogynist, please do not apply. That's true. Yes. That's true. Uh, we'll see you next month. Thank you. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Love you, Lee. Love you, Case. <laughs>